Yeah. We got London on the track. This is all guys doing, man. You can't plan it. But if the devil's in the details, then I'm satanic. About to take over your city and you can't stand it. My account say you sick and like All right, welcome back to episode four of the Play Action Podcast. Recapping week two and what we saw with this week. And man, this is a this is a crazy yeah. week. We, I think we've been really spoiled with these first two weeks of college football. Right off the rip. Well, it's like week one we had kind of, you know, close games between like two really solid teams. And this week was just the week of upsets. We kind of, we don't really expect there to be much movement as far as like the AP and stuff like that. When we were looking at, when we were overviewing the games prior, like back on Wednesday. But then the, there was just so much su- surprising things that happened, you know. Yeah, based on, based on the teams that people were playing, you're like, okay, Texas a at home, College Station against Appalachian State. There's no way they lose that game, right? Yeah. But App State obviously pulled an upset, and then Notre Dame and Marshall, <laughs> another one. Notre Dame at home. Oh my gosh. So, I think that's why you know we talked about this at the start of the season. That's why you really can't take too much into account with the first preseason poll. Yeah. Because you know you got number six Texas A&M losing to App State, and number eight Notre Dame losing to. Marshall, so yeah, and things have already changed so much with the poll. Oh, literally, we'll get into the new AP poll this week as well, uh, and then we got we got some other news, some breaking news. Scott Frost lost his job at Nebraska. Yeah, um, very unfortunate there. Lost then, to Georgia Georgia Southern this week. Yeah, did you see the Sun Belt man? No. So the Sun Belt is the three teams that pulled the upset. Yeah, App State, Marshall, and really, um, I didn't even know it. Georgia Southern. So big week for the Sun Belt Conference. Probably the best conference in the nation. Right yeah, now. in the country, better than the SEC. Better than the SEC, you know, just absolutely dominating every team. But yeah, yeah. So we'll go through Scott Frost, and then we'll also talk about Quinn Ewers. Um, yeah, unfortunately, getting injured. Sounds like he's out four to six weeks. Yeah, at least. So we'll, we'll go through. Uh, we'll go through those news stories. But gosh, where do where do we even start with the first game? Um, I think Bama at Texas. Bama and Texas. Man, what a yeah. game that was. Yeah, what a great game. Um, Bama. Obviously gets a win at the end. They won 20-19. to Quinn Ewers, I know we talked a little bit about him before. He got that left shoulder injury. I think it was an SC sprain. Do you even know what that – what is an SC sprain? Something with his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. something with his shoulder. Um, he got sacked. I think it was in the first half. I think it's his throwing shoulder too, which makes it even that much more significant. Yeah. It was his left shoulder. Is oh, it was his left shoulder? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good. Because I think the guy landed on his right shoulder – the one that got hurt was the one that was on the ground. Okay. I don't know. There was a lot. I'd say if it looked painful. Throwing shoulder. Yeah, that would be pretty. But I was pretty impressed with that. With that backup. Yeah, he came in and it seemed like they weren't really willing to kind of throw the ball as much because with, with Quinn Ewers, I'm gonna say it right now. If Quinn Ewers plays that whole game, Alabama loses. Yeah, and I don't think, honestly, don't think it's close either. I think Texas wins probably by a couple scores. But it seemed like they weren't really willing to kind of let him unleash it down the field. It seemed like it was more kind of like check downs and, you know, shorter routes. Instead, where Quinn Ewers was, oh, my God, there yeah. was in the first quarter, his receiver went straight down, um, straight down the middle of the field, and he threw it to him and he dropped it in the end zone, which I think that drive ended up being yeah. a field goal. But, you know, Quinn Ewers was making plays yeah, he in the game, good. and he really impressed me. It's um, too bad because I think Texas had so much momentum and then he got hurt and it kind of just like stopped it abruptly. So it was, it was too bad for Texas. I mean, but I kind of, when they had that field goal in the fourth quarter with like a minute 30, you kind of just knew that Bama was going to come down and get it done. I mean, Bryce Young, just unbelievable two-minute drill. Drives down the field, they finish it off with a 33-yard field goal and win it. But there was, did, did you watch that game? You yeah, I got the first yeah. half of that game. Did you see the play where Bryce Young was about to get sacked? Back, he was like third down, and then he like evades the sack and runs it down to like the 20-yard line or something. That was that was the game right there. I mean, they missed the tackle, and that was the re- I think that was the reason Bama won. But yeah, I'm just crazy. seeing I'm just seeing the highlights go through on a little ad on the side, and I just saw that play. Yeah. Him going through a couple plays, so. Yeah. Crazy. But it affected the poll. I mean, Texas Still lost, and they they found a way in in the AP top twenty five. Yeah, again, we'll talk about the AP top twenty five later. But 
I can't, I don't understand, like, should they have won? Yes. Was it a close game? Yes. Did everyone expect Texas to lose by one point to Alabama at home? No, they expect them to lose by, you know, 20 plus. But you still lost the football game. Yeah. I don't know how they're jumping into the polls. Especially at home, too. I mean, yeah. In, yeah, at home, too. So. It was, was, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, Texas, I think Texas looked a lot better. I think we got to give Texas a lot of credit. I think yeah. Texas looked a lot better than, you know, we initially thought. It's unfortunate that Quinn Ewers is going to be out for a little bit. Because I think if he plays next week, you know, I think Texas can take a lot of positives from this game. And, you know, use it to kind of help them in the Big 12. And I think... I think I can I can say right now Texas is a sleeper team in the Big Twelve. If Quinn Ewers gets back at a decent time, and you know can play like he did against Alabama, I think this Texas team is a little bit underrated. Yeah, I think Bijan Robinson was a little disappointing yesterday. Yeah, twenty one carries, fifty seven yards, and a touchdown. I think Texas needed more out of him, especially when Quinn Ewers went down. Yeah, but again, it's no easy task running against that Alabama defense. So I don't really, I don't really blame him too much, but I think after Quinn Ewers down went down, I think Texas offense kind of kind of went down. I don't think they scored a touchdown after that. It was just field goals. Yeah, it was. So I don't, I I don't mind them sneaking in the top twenty five personally. I think that this was a a great loss. I mean, I, it's kind of weird to say that, but their their starting quarterback was out the whole second half. They held a solid Bama team to only twenty points. I don't know. I, I do not mind them sneaking. In. I I expected them to sneak in the top 25, and yeah, I don't mind that at all. I think it's more of the AP kind of saying Texas should have been ranked before this game was even played. So I think it's kind of the AP saying that we had it wrong yeah. you know, last week and even the week before, and I think that's why Texas probably sneaks in. But I, you got to give them credit. You know, they did play well. Um, they did everything they could to win the game. You know, fell a little bit short, but... I, I really hope that Quinn Ewers' injury isn't as serious as it is. Because if he can get back in, you know, maybe two, maybe three weeks, I don't know how serious a shoulder injury is going to be for him, especially if it's on his non-throwing side. But UTSA this week, I think Texas can, you know, manage that game without Quinn. At Texas Tech's a little bit of a tougher game. And then West Virginia at home. But if he can get back for that, that uh, Red River rivalry, against Oklahoma. I think, you know, Oklahoma is really on upset alert there. Yeah. And even the rest of the season, you know, I think Quinn, I think he's proven that he can be a really good college quarterback. And, you know, it's it's crazy to say that only two weeks in, but he really impressed me. He, he's, he was so calm. You know, he knew where he was throwing the ball, and he threw it with conviction. So I really hope Quinn Ewers gets back as soon as possible because he played really, really well in the short time against Alabama. So do you think the Longhorns – have a chance to become Big 12 champs, contenders? It just depends on when Quinn gets back. Um, I think there, if it if it really is truly four weeks and he misses that Oklahoma game, then no shot. You know, really? I, think, I think it depends on how serious this injury is. Knowing Quinn Ewers, I think if he's even 75%, I think he's going to try to go yeah. against Oklahoma. And I think a 75% Quinn Ewers is better than than their backup, who, did, who didn't play terrible, but he just seemed a little hesitant to kind of move the ball downfield. But I think Quinn Ewers needs to, needs to get back as soon as possible. And I think Texas, I think they generally could be a sleeper team in the Big 12. You think the refs played a big role in, in Bama winning that game? I mean, there, obviously there was the missed face mask and also that controversial call when Bryce Young got tackled in the end zone for the safety. Well, it, it was... Re- it was overturned. As it was a weird situation that call. Yeah, I think you can say that refs play a part in every game. Um, I know that Alabama was penalized like fifteen times or something yeah. like that. I think it was the most in the Saban era. Fifteen penalties, a hundred yards. But yeah, you know, there's always going to be controversy with games. I think as a football team, you need to do your best to not let the refs play a factor. But you know, it is a little unfortunate. I think there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of things as a Texas Longhorn fan that you can take from this game as, you know, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt, we probably win the game. Maybe we get lucky on some of those calls. But either way, I don't think Texas should be ashamed of this loss. I think should be really happy because they, they were the better team. And I don't think Alabama fans can really argue that. Yes, you got the win, but your team wasn't better at all. Yeah, do you think 
Bama team or Bama fans should be ashamed of this win. I don't think they should be ashamed because a win's a win. Yeah. But God, I feel I feel bad for whoever Alabama got next. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know if you saw the clip at the end. Oh yeah, Nick Saban. Yeah, Nick Saban and his players doing the the horns down. <laughs> but um. Yeah. So, don't do that shit. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a rough practice yeah. for oh, yeah. for uh, those Bama players this week. But they got UL Monroe this next week. Yeah. I'm just gonna say it now. Prayers up to UL Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, about to be an 80. Yeah, hope you guys don't 80, lose by 100 90. because this Alabama team is yeah. gonna be really motivated because everyone's kind of kind of you know downplaying them yeah. now. But yeah, shout out to Alabama. You got the win. You know, you did what everything you need to do to win. I think Texas is very unlucky, though, to not win that game. All right. Let's talk about a little upset. Notre Dame. Marshall beat Notre Dame 26-21. to Notre Dame starts out the season 0-2. Wow. It was, that was a surpriser. It was literally a week ago that we were kind of, kind of praising Notre Dame, saying, wow, you really went to you know, a tough place yeah. to play in Columbus, Ohio. And lost by 11, kind of slowed down an Ohio State offense. But after this week, man, I don't even know what, yeah. to, what to say about, about Notre Dame. Um, Tyler Buckner just kind of, he isn't getting the job done for him. And I know he went out injured, and that's why they threw in their backup. But it'll be interesting to see kind of if that's now an open quarterback um, conversation now. Because, you know, he, had, he didn't really play amazing in week one. Didn't really play amazing in week two either. Yeah. 18 for 32, 201 yards throwing. Two interceptions, though. I mean, he, he did have the two rushing touchdowns. Yeah, so yeah, the two rushing touchdowns just kind of offsets it. But I think Notre Dame is just struggling to figure out what kind of football team they are. Um, obviously, new coach and a lot of expectation. You know, when you enter the season ranked number five, you're kind of expected to make a run for the playoff. But I think Notre Dame needs to, you know, take a step back, figure out what kind of football team they are before they can really kind of go forward and um, continue playing football games. But I think shout-out to Marshall, man. Henry Columbia, he was the former Texas Tech quarterback. Really? But I think he came from Utah State, too, if I remember correctly. So he was at Utah State, transferred to Texas Tech, and now ends up at Marshall. Played a pretty good game, did everything he did to win, but that Marshall running back, man. Yeah. 31 carries. 163 yards. Talk about carrying the football team. On his back, but yeah, shout out to Marshall, man. Yeah. Shout out to the Sun Belt. Yeah, they really, you know, re- they really decided to play some. Yeah, they this represented weekend. this weekend. So, but yeah, I think for Notre Dame, I think they really gotta figure out how to win because the season, you know, it's not over for them because obviously they they still got some games on their schedule that they can run the table with. But I I'm really nervous as a Notre Dame fan because you don't want to start your new coach his tenure on a, on a poor season. And it's like you still got you still got BYU on that schedule. You still got Clemson on that yeah. schedule. You still got USC on that schedule. Yeah. So, and even at North Carolina isn't a tough isn't an easy game as well. So I think I think Notre Dame fans, you know, you got to really figure out what the identity of your football team is, and that's that's a really really tough loss. The so schedules there are definitely to be able to bounce back. I think. Oh yeah, for sure. Like they can definitely win some big games. And kind of turn the season around, but yeah, if they can get if they can escape the season with three losses, yeah, I think they could easily you know maybe sneak into yeah. like a decent bowl game. Yeah, and I think that'd be a good first year under the head coach. But I think I saw on Twitter that Notre Dame paid it was like one point something million to Marshall to come play that football game. Really, and they ended up losing. Oh, no. So that's the that's that's the worst case scenario for you as a Notre Dame fan, yeah. but. Yeah, you got to figure out your quarterback situation. You got to figure out what kind of football team are you are. You know, are you a are you a ground and pound kind of team? Or are you gonna kind of try to throw the ball? So I think Notre Dame's got a lot of questions, and it doesn't necessarily get easier. I think Cal has has played pretty all right through the early part of the season. So we'll see what kind of team um, Notre Dame is next week against Cal. Yeah. All right, let's talk about another upset: App State over A and M. Wow, two huge upsets in week two what a game and what a what a start for Jimbo Fisher seriously yeah number one recruiting class yeah you're losing at home in College Station to App State it's impressive yeah there's a lot of talent on that team I just think they're really young yeah I think he's got a lot of developing to do 
I think the thing that makes me happiest about this game, though, is watching the coach at the end. He was literally in tears. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of what college football is about. You know, it's about the upsets, you know, the, the highs, the lows. And his team, you know, his team played a really good game. You know, they had a game plan. I think they had, like, 40, 40 minutes of time of possession. Really? That App State team did. Wow. So they literally controlled. Yeah, 41 minutes. They literally controlled the ball the whole entire game. And, you know, they took their chances when they needed to. And and shout out to App State, too. They got rewarded with college game day coming their way yeah. for week three. So, you know, I think Texas A&M, I don't, I don't know what to think about Texas A&M because you obviously have the best recruiting class in the nation. I think your boosters spent like 30-something million on NIL deals. You're coming into the season expecting to compete with Alabama and Georgia for the SEC, and you're losing yeah. at home in College Station against Appalachian State. It's not. It's just not a very good look, uh, especially for all those boosters, man. Yeah. If I'm one of those guys throwing money into the program, and we're losing games to App State, it's just. It's just not a very good look. Obviously, you know Texas A&M is really, really young, so they got a lot of potential in the years to come, but. Sounded like Jimbo Fisher wanted to compete this year. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how Texas A&M back, bounces back. They obviously got Miami this week. So we'll kind of see how that goes for them. Where, where do you think the problems are for the Aggies? You think it's a coaching situation? You think it's just because they're young? I don't think Jimbo's a bad coach. I think Jimbo can coach. But it doesn't seem like they have an identity, you know? They didn't really throw the ball well. They didn't really run the ball well. And obviously, you know, when you're getting out time of possessions, you know, 40 to 20, yeah. that kind of doesn't, you know, it kind of just sets the wrong kind of precedent because your defense is sitting out on the field the whole game and your offense is, you know, sitting on, on the bench knowing that with the limited chances that they're going to get, they have to take advantage of them. So, yeah, I think Texas A&M just, I think Jimbo needs to figure out, same with Notre Dame, kind of what kind of football team are they going to be? Are they going to be... Are they going to run the ball? Are they going to throw it through the air? Turnovers were a big problem, too. You know, they, they had four fumbles, only lost two of them, luckily. But you can't, you can't be dropping the ball yeah. four times. You know, it's just, it's just inexcusable. So, yeah, we'll see what kind of football team Texas A&M looks like next week because Miami looks to be a problem. So we'll see if, if Texas A&M can, can bounce back and get a win over. Two weeks in, you know what I've noticed is – how significant special teams has been oh, for yeah. these games. Definitely, you know, especially in the game we're going to talk about um, in a second with Florida and Kentucky. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and even the BYU game, and even this game. I mean, there was the kickoff return for Texas A&M. That was half of their points. And then they had a chance there at the end to tie it up with a... I mean, it wasn't a routine field goal, but still, it was like a 40-something yarder. And dude just shanked it. Yeah, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't close at yeah, all. It wasn't even close. I don't even think... I thought it was blocked. And we can even think back to last week, too, yeah. with LSU and oh, yeah. um, Texas Tech. There's obviously their fair share of special teams mishaps. It just goes to show that like nothing's a given. I mean, even PATs have been kind of flaky this year. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. But I think Texas A&M in the long run will be fine. You know, obviously, when you, when you have the best recruiting class in the nation, talent isn't the problem. They just got to be coached up. And I think Texas A&M will probably bounce back. This year? Maybe not this year, but I would I expect them to still win a good amount of games. Maybe even get an upset over, over one of those big SEC teams. But yeah, I think it's it's a really tough loss. But you know, shout out to App State. I think I think the emphasis has to be more on how well App State game plan for that game. You know, yeah. they really had a game plan of what they wanted to do, and they executed it to literal perfection. So shout out to App State, yeah. and I'm glad they got rewarded with College Game Day coming to town. Yeah, we'll get to see them on a national stage next week, which I'm really excited about i'd say i saw a lot of the videos coming out of i think it's boone boone north carolina really and people were running down the streets and <laughs> it was just a wild scene in north carolina so yeah shout out to app state man you know they they did what they had to do so yeah but for a&m same thing as notre dame like they have to schedule to be able to bounce back and and turn the season around really oh yeah anytime anytime you play in the sec you know you can you can definitely run the table for yeah. sure so, yeah, we'll see how they bounce back and you know, see what kind of team they turn into the rest of the season. Cool, cool. All right, Florida, Kentucky. Kentucky goes to the Swamp, gets the win against pretty disappointing um, Anthony Richardson. Wasn't really 
the same guy that we saw week one against Utah. Oh, what do you what do you think about that game? So yeah, this was this was my probably second game of the week that I was uh, most interested in watching besides Utah, because you know I obviously you know went to the Utah game and then threw on my Florida gear yeah. for, for their game against Kentucky. <laughs> you know, I was like, I was like, man, this is so awesome. I get a, I get a coach or I get to watch uh, my Florida Gators play yeah. this week. You know, Anthony Richardson. I'm a huge Anthony Richardson fan, but yeah, I'm really impressed with Kentucky. Actually, they, they did a lot of things that I think Utah needed to do in the opener that they just weren't able to do. You know, I think, I think their main emphasis on film from week one was make sure Anthony Richardson doesn't beat us with his legs. Yeah. And my oh my, did they achieve that? You know, six yeah. carries for four yards for Anthony Richardson. Basically a non-factor in the run game. And, you know, they forced him to pass. And yeah. I think, you know, forcing him to pass kind of kind of showed a lot of his weaknesses. I think Anthony Richardson needs to improve as a passer uh, first and foremost. You know, he obviously can run the ball and run the ball well. But, you know, I think there was a couple passes he... And they're pretty easy passes, I would say. He kind of sailed them yeah. over his wide receivers. And then the two picks were were pretty disappointing for yeah. Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I think if you if you make this guy throw, then he definitely seems a lot more human. Because last week it was like, okay, is, is this is this the Anthony Richardson we're going to be seeing all year? And obviously Kentucky studied some film, and that wasn't the case. Because dude threw, it was a 14 for 35, 143 yards with two interceptions. No touchdowns. Yeah, and we're just rewatching that highlight yeah. of um, number fifteen on Kentucky with yeah. the one-handed pick. What that a was, play from him! Yeah, and that was a uh, that was one of two pretty bad interceptions during that game. I know there was the other one where the guy was running the hitch route. We talked about it before we started recording, but just a little, would you say miscommunication there, or just like bad awareness from Richardson as far as like looking at the coverage? Yeah, it sounded like it was a choice route. So the receiver was either going to run a hitch if the corner backed off or he was going to run kind of like a, like a fade if the corner, you know, stepped up and Anthony Richardson just read, read the coverage wrong corner stepped up uh, receiver obviously went and he threw the ball and it was a pretty easy pick. I think Anthony Richardson, as he was coming off to kind of signaled and said, my fault, my fault. But yeah. And then I think Will Levis yeah. was very impressive in the game too. Um, obviously that Florida D line is unreal though. They got a lot of pressure in on him. But, you know, Will Levis kind of managed it really, really well. Uh, their running back was key. He made a lot of plays, especially in the second half. I think that's one thing I've noticed with Florida's defense in the second half is it kind of gets a little bit softer, so you're able to, you know, run the ball a little bit more than you would be in the first half. So I think a lot of teams are going to key in on that for the future. But, yeah, this Kentucky defensive line is, is also unreal. Yeah, I think Will Levis is a dog. No, he's yeah. got a good arm. Yeah, well, he's got a good arm. He threw an absolute dime in the first half. Um, oh, you're talking about that deep ball? Yeah, the deep yeah. ball. And his receiver made a great play yeah. as well. But, yeah, Kentucky, I think Kentucky might be a sleeper team. Yeah? In the SEC. Do, do they sneak in the top ten? Yeah, they they're sneak, nine. They're yeah, nine, they're nine right now. So, uh, I think that front seven is going to win them a lot of games because they got a lot of pressure in on Anthony Richardson as well as kind of containing him. So if you can contain Anthony Richardson as a runner, you're going to be able to contain a lot of quarterbacks in the SEC as well as the nation. So Especially to go in the swamp and, and get a win there. Oh, yeah. yeah that's, Huge. That's not an easy place to play. Florida didn't even score in the second half. Yeah. No, yeah, they shut him out. They shut him out. Pretty well. And, so, and the schedule is pretty favorable for Kentucky down the road. Yeah. You know, at Ole Miss and at Tennessee are two tough games. But if you beat Georgia, you're gonna win. You're gonna win that division. Yeah. And potentially sneak in the playoff. Sneak in the playoff, yeah. Especially if you can win the SEC. That'd so, be crazy. Yeah, Kentucky, I think, is a team to keep an eye on for the rest of the season because they played really well, and I think Will Levis is kind of one of those QBs that can single-handedly win you games, especially when the team isn't playing well. But that wasn't the case last night. Kentucky had a overall team effort to win the game. So yeah, shout out to Kentucky. And it'll be interesting to see what Florida looks like now. Yeah. That people have kind of figured out Anthony Richardson a little bit. You know, make him make him draw back and throw the ball. And if he beats you that way, then, you know, fair play. But I don't think he's as developed as a thrower yet. So, 
obviously a night and day difference for Florida yep. in week one and week two. But still at number 18, still with the chance to run the table. So anything's possible. Yeah, really anything's possible. From what we've seen this year, do you think that like the pressure kind of got to Florida? I mean, there was a lot of expectations for this team. Started out, started the preseason AP unranked and then immediately dropped or jumped to 12 after beating Utah. So there was a lot of expectations for this Florida team who's higher ranked than Kentucky going into this game. Yeah, when you got a new coach, you know, it's always exciting week one because you really don't know what you're going to see. And they obviously had that huge win over Utah, which obviously propelled them to the number 12 team in the nation. But um, I think they got a reality check in week two. And I think that's something we talked about in the um, episode on Wednesday was is is yeah. Florida going to have kind of a letdown in week two? And they kind of they kind of had a little bit of a letdown, obviously, but you know, still a lot of season left to play, and I don't think losing to Kentucky is necessarily a bad loss for yeah. Florida. So we'll kind of see how they look the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll see how they bounce back. But let's talk about another road upset: Washington State. The Cougars go to Wisconsin, get the win, seventeen to fourteen. Huge win for the Pac-12. Big one right there. Yeah, shout out to Wazoo, man. Um, they obviously had the whole problems with their COVID coach not wanting to get vaccinated. And that was a huge problem for them. I think that was last year. So, you know, they obviously have a new coach now. And to go up to Camp Randall at Wisconsin and get a win is, I think it's pretty impressive. I don't know why the AP didn't really see it that way. Yeah. But Wisconsin's not really an easy place to play. So... Shout out to Wazoo, man. That defense looked very, very good. Yeah, Wazoo is sleeper team. I think in the Pac-12 for sure. Maybe not, maybe not nationwide, but I think Wazoo is going to be able to compete with almost every team they play. I don't think it's a team that you'll see get blown out. But they were kind of disappointing week one. I know we talked about that a little bit with them um, off the show. We talked yeah. about them against Idaho, kind of not being really. Not really that impressive. And even Cam Ward didn't really play amazing. You know, 17 for 28, 200 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions. And they didn't really even run the ball well either. But, you know, a defensive effort. Really good defensive effort and, you know, able to get that win on the road. So, you know, I think for Wazoo, it's now going to be about, you know, we got all this momentum going now. So how can we, how can we capitalize on it and be, you know, even better? Obviously, they got Colorado State at home. It'd be huge to go three and zero heading yeah. into Pac twelve play. Three and zero, and then you know they got some dogs on their schedule still. You know, I think I think we're still trying to figure out what kind of team Oregon is. So that will be interesting to see Wazoo against Oregon, yeah. and then they got at USC, and then you know home versus Utah. So the two best teams in the Pac twelve, they got to play. So everything in front of them for Wazoo to make a sneaky run, but. I think it's a team you want to watch in the Pac-12. Maybe not to win it or even be in that championship game, but I think they're going to give problems to every team that they play. Yeah, I agree. It, it, was, a, it was a huge win for Wazoo, but let's talk about some other Pac-12 teams, Oregon and Utah with some statement wins this week. Obviously, Oregon won big after losing to Georgia last week. 49-3, put up 70 points against... It was Eastern Washington, but still kind of a, a little bit of a confidence boost going into uh, playing BYU next week in Eugene. Yeah, for Oregon, I don't think it was possible for them to play worse than <laughs> what they did week one. So I'm, I'm happy to kind of see them. I, and like, I don't want to overstate it. It was Eastern Washington. It was a game that they were supposed to win and supposed to win by a lot. So I think it's a very good win for, for Oregon. And I think it's something that they need, especially with BYU coming to town now. And maybe it's it's how they get their season back on track. Obviously, you know, losing to Georgia by 46 isn't how you want to start your season. But I think the question marks were Bo Nix, for sure. He looked good. Uh, yeah, he looked good. You know, 28 for 33, 277, and five touchdowns. But I think, you know, I think they're going to need those kind of performances from Bo Nix to, you know, be successful. And, you know, the running game was pretty solid. It seemed they had five running backs with, you know, seven or more carries. So that's a pretty balanced run game as well. And, you know, 
they even moved the wall around. Looks like a lot of people catch, you know, passes, which is also very key too, to get other players involved. But I think Oregon still has a lot to kind of prove for the rest of the season because I don't think they're necessarily done under yeah. Dan Landing. Yeah, I agree. And and same goes for Utah. I mean, they had a big win against Southern Utah this weekend, put up 70 as well. Um, kind of similar situations for these teams. I mean, obviously Utah came off the loss against Florida last week. Oregon lost to Georgia. You know, it's kind of a confidence booster for these fan bases who kind of want to see a little bit of a spark out of these teams who just came off a loss. Going into some more difficult games, obviously, B- BYU looks pretty good. That'll be a tough one for Oregon, even though they're at home. But, yeah, just kind of some confidence booster almost heading into conference play. Well, when you when you start the season ranked 11-7 and seven, and you lose your first game, it kind of feels like, you know, the sky is falling. You know, you lost your first game. You had all these expectations going into week one. And then you lose that first game. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, shoot. It seems like our season's already over. But I think to get, you know, statement victories, it doesn't matter who the opponent is, to win big like that in the first or the second game, I think is key for both these teams, especially with the games that they got coming down the rest of the way. But I think a big one, you know, we're going to preview it next week. Oregon at home against BYU. That'll be a big game. And then, you know, Utah looking to get a revenge game against San Diego State at home as well. San Diego State beat them last year. So we'll kind of see what that looks like. But I think for the Pac-12, you're going to need a couple other teams to partner with USC to kind of make the conference look, you know, somewhat legit. And I think Utah and Oregon are probably those two teams to complement USC right now. And to talk more about BYU, I mean, obviously a huge game for them last night. It was the night game in Provo, Utah. Gets the win against the Big 12 champs, the Baylor Bears. Huge win for the Cougars. I mean, starting off the season 2-0. Obviously, we talked about how they have Oregon and Eugene next week, but what a game. I mean, you watched that, right? I'd say you picked picked, uh, BYU to win that game. I had Baylor last week, or, or in my prediction, to win that game, but... Honestly, I think it's time that the nation start giving some respect to BYU because winning at home against Baylor, who was a top 10 team, especially without your top two receivers, is is very, very impressive. But, you know, I think for Baylor, I think, you know, this was going to be a tough game for them no matter what, but it didn't seem like they really kind of came to play as much as they should have. But shout out to BYU for getting that win. Um Interesting to see what they do with that kicking situation. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> kicker missed two huge field goals. Same with Baylor, too. Baylor missed a field goal as well. You know, just bringing back up that point about special teams being very key yeah. this year. But I, I think Blake Shapin kind of underperformed. I mean, I know it was only like his like fourth career start because he came in towards the end of last season. But I don't know. I thought, it, I thought he was a lot better. Obviously, Jaron Hall won the quarterback battle, and I think that's the reason BYU won the game. But... It was in dramatic fashion, double overtime. Obviously, there was a couple missed field goals in overtime. But what do you think about what do you about, think about the fans storming the field after? I mean, they were the favorites to win the game, you know. And we want to talk about how BYU deserves some respect, you know. But you kind of got to act like you've done it before, you know. No, yeah. And they, they seem to do that a lot. That's kind of their thing is anytime they be a ranked team, they seem to storm. You know, I know we saw it last year with um, with Utah that they stormed, but, you know, it's fans being fans, I guess. I know that the university is going to get fined for that, and if the university is okay kind of swallowing that fine, then, like, whatever. But I think the thing with storming the field is it is really dangerous for, you know, not only, you know, BYU players, but opposing players too, you know. And I know that fans are never, you know, going to be nice to opposing players after a big win. But, yeah, you know, they're passionate down there in Provo. They love their football team. So, you know, I guess you can let it slide. But it is interesting to see kind of um, what BYU will do for the rest of the season because they still got big ranked opponents that are coming into Provo. Yeah. I know Arkansas has to go down there. So, yeah, shout out to BYU, man. They uh, they did their thing. Yeah, it's interesting might... to see if those top two receivers are going to be out yeah. going into week two. And we might see a lot of storming. We might see a lot of storming in Provo this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With some ranked opponents. Some more ranked opponents coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they got a big one. They got a big one this week uh, at Oregon. So, 
we'll see how they look, but I think with their two star receivers, Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney, I think they're going to need them for this week. Because I think, I think Oregon, at least athletically, is going to be better than Baylor. They might not be a better overall team, but I think, you know, athlete-wise, Oregon has the athletes. So I think it's going to help BYU to have those two back in the fold. But it'll be interesting. That's a game we're going to keep an eye on for yeah. next week. I think it was cool. It was kind of a preview of what we're going to see from BYU in a couple of years when they join the, the Big 12. You know, can they hang with with this conference? Well, yeah, I think I think even last year they you know they played a pretty tough game down at Baylor, um, ended up losing that one unfortunately. But uh, yeah, they, I think they've proven um, exactly that they can compete in this conference. So. And I think teams are going to struggle traveling to Utah. It's a tough place yeah. to play for sure. You know, the altitude really does play a difference, and you know those fans they're they're very very loud. It was at like there. sixty. They got like sixty five thousand, yeah, so. something like that. Yeah, but it was. It was a big big game for BYU, the Cougars. But let's talk about that Tennessee Pitt thriller. What a game. Man, dude. This game was so unfortunate for me because it was just happening when a lot of other games I wanted to watch were happening. Yeah. So I was kind of flipping back yeah. back and forth, kind of catching plays as they happened. But I know you watched majority of that game. Yeah, so obviously Tennessee won 34-27, but Pitt was on their third string for most of the second half. I mean, Slovis got hurt in the first half. They move on to the second string. And then second string starts limping. They take him out, put the third string in. Third string starts limping. I mean, what are you doing? That's the, the third string just hangs in there. I mean, he's making run plays, trying t- to get a win in like down the stretch. I mean, they obviously went to overtime. So, Yeah, and we said this in the preview about Hendon Hooker for Tennessee. He's not going to lose you the game. Um, is what I've kind of seen from him, you know, this year and last year. He's not going to make plays to lose you the game. And, you know, every once in a while, he's going to give you that play to help win you the game. And I know he threw some beautiful passes, especially late down in the stretch to help win that game for Tennessee. But Tennessee is another one of those sneaky SEC teams kind of working their way up to the, you know, top of the rankings. But, yeah, they they had a really good game plan. I would say a really good Pittsburgh team. You know, obviously, yeah. I wish Keaton Slovis would have stayed in that game because I'm I'm a big Keaton Slovis believer. I think he's a really good QB, and you know he didn't seem to play play bad until he got you know injured. But um, obviously, a huge rushing game for their running back: twenty five carries, one hundred fifty four yards, and a touchdown. So yeah, I think I think this was just one of those classic, you know college football games this yeah week. I think we yeah. knew that this was going to be a good game when we previewed it last week but yeah we got exactly what we expected Tennessee with the with the game winner in overtime and then they shut down Pitt but wow huge game for especially the SEC I mean yeah. they're winning some big games SEC and we expect that from the SEC yeah. you know great conference but um, I, I want to say give a big shout out to that backed up for Pitt um, Nick Patty yep. he really kind of was trying to will them to a win. And it's tough, especially when you're not getting first-team reps, to come into a game and kind of be like, all right, you know, let's get the job done. But, yeah, I think Tennessee with a huge, huge road win. And I think we'll see what Pitt does, you know. Obviously, they still have the ACC, and, you know, they're going to have a lot of good games there. But I think Tennessee is another one of those surprise SEC teams. And I don't think you can really sleep on Pitt because I think Pitt played a really good game as well. Yeah, let's transition back to some more Pac-12 action. USC with a statement win at Stanford, forty-one to twenty-eight. I liked, I liked what I was seeing from Caleb Williams and uh, Jordan Addison, but wow, USC is looking scarier and scarier as the weeks go by. Yeah, I think it's time that USC finally gets their gets their crown. Lincoln Riley has them has them playing very very good football, and I think that's not only scary for the Pac-12. But I think that's scary for the rest of the nation because when USC is back, man, USC is back. Yeah. So Caleb Williams, you know, obviously playing how we expected to. I don't yeah. think anyone expected Caleb Williams to come into USC and play bad because he's got his coach from Oklahoma. It's a very comfortable situation for him. Even had a, one of his receivers transfer over from Oklahoma as well. So really the only kind of connection he really needed to improve on was his connection with Jordan Addison. 
And it, from the way they've been playing, it, it's almost like they've been playing for years yeah. together. Seven receptions, 172 yards, and two touchdowns. Jordan Addison might be sneaking his way into a maybe a Heisman Really? Ooh. Wide yeah. receiver Heisman action. I know, I know wide receivers don't get the love that they deserve because, you know, it's a very quarterback-dominated sport. But I think if Caleb Williams is getting Heisman praise, I think you need to give the same kind of praise to Jordan Addison because he's been balling in the early couple weeks. Yeah, we'll see if there's any Pac-12 teams who who can stop this USC offense. I mean, obviously we talked about how we knew that this team was going to be good offensively. The question marks were going to be on defense. Obviously Stanford put up 20, 28 points against this team, but what Pac-12 school is going to slow down this USC offense, if any? Yeah, surely the, you know, the team that's probably closest to being able to do it is going to be Utah, and they're going to have that game um, mid-October at Rice-Eccles where they got to come to altitude and play. I think that game is just getting more and more intriguing with, UNC, with USC becoming you know what they are becoming. So I'm getting a little nervous, though, as a Utah fan because it seems like they can throw the ball pretty easily with Caleb Williams. And not only that, they, they're running the ball, too, with Travis Dye very well. So this offense is, has been something something scary, you know, in the early couple games. And I know it's only Rice and Stanford, but Stanford is a huge step up from Rice. And I think, US, I think USC has a sneaky matchup with Fresno State this week. Because I think Fresno State is a sneaky, good Mountain West team. So that'll be another test for them. But based on the way they're playing, I kind of just expect them to put up a lot of points and kind of win easy. Yeah, we'll just see if this defense can hang with what this office, offense is producing for this team. I mean, Lincoln Riley could come in and make this USC team a, a playoff contender. Oh, I yeah. Think. Oh, yeah, easy. Especially because, you know, they're going to have the, the tough game in, in Utah that they're going to have to win. But I think USC could easily run the table and sneak into the playoff year one under Lincoln Riley. And at this point, I don't think anybody would really be surprised. I know it was kind of, it was unpopular early in the season to kind of pick USC because of all the transfers that they had. But it seems like all the transfers are gelling pretty well and they're buying into the system. And USC really looks like a threat in the Pac-12. Yeah, I think it's cool to see that this program is is back, I think. I mean, obviously they struggled the last few years, but yeah, it's, it's cool. I kind of want to see them play a little bit more to, before we say that they're back. Yeah, we can't jump to any conclusions. I definitely think they're very much improved than where they have been um, the last couple years. So I think the floor for USC right now is winning the Pac-12 and getting to the Rose Bowl. And I think their ceiling is obviously, you know, getting to the playoff and winning a national championship. Yeah. yeah, but I think if you're a USC fan and they do win the Pac-12 championship and they don't necessarily make the playoff, but they make the Rose Bowl, I think you should be happy with that. Oh, yeah, you should definitely be happy with that, especially with kind of where this program has been trending. You know, Clay Hilton kind of didn't really do him any favors with his coaching style. But I think Lincoln Riley, we obviously knew he's a legit coach. And he's making this football team look like a legit football team. They already have half as many wins as they did last year. <laughs> yeah, I say, <laughs> say they're uh, they're already uh, they're halfway there. Yeah, say get to four wins and you're already you're, you're already improving. improving. Yeah, you're, you're improving already improving from there. Yeah. So yeah, you know USC's you know they're looking kind of scary. So we'll see if they can continue that down the road. Breaking news: This morning, Nebraska announced that they are going to. Make a change in leadership of the football program and decided to fire Scott Frost effective immediately. Kind of a crazy transition for this team. I mean, they started off one and two, obviously lost this weekend to, who did they lose to? Oh my God. Uh, Georgia <laughs> Southern. Yeah, Georgia Southern. From the Sun Belt. Man. Yeah. Sun Belt winning big. Yeah, big, obviously. big for the Sun Belt. But yeah, it was kind of crazy early in the season. But yeah, it's whack. Now, yeah, um, Scott Frost has probably the weirdest downfall of probably sports, no, I'm just kidding, not sports history. But <laughs> he obviously went from UCF, who's now in the Big 12, but when he was coaching them, well, they're not in the Big 12 yet, but they will be in the Big 12. But he was coaching them. They had, I think, back-to-back undefeated seasons, claimed a national championship in 20, 2019 or whatever that year was, which was wild. And then, you know, goes to Nebraska, who's a historically great football program 
And everyone thinks, oh man, Nebraska is going to, you know, Nebraska is going to be back. You know, they're going to be winning the Big Ten, you know, competing for national championships. And it just hasn't quite turned out that way. But I think Nebraska had really high hopes this year too, because I think they were four and eight last year, but lost seven one score games. So interesting development coming from Nebraska, but I don't know. I think, I think Scott Frost needs to go back to a lower pressure job like he was in UCF. And I think you might see him, you know, be able to coach good again. Yeah, I think there was just a lot of high expectations for Scott Frost, like when he when he got this job. Um, the associate head coach, Mickey Joseph, will take over as the interim head coach for the rest of the year. But, I mean, they started off the season week zero, played Northwestern. And in it was the, Ireland. In Ireland. In Ireland, yes. Yeah. Obviously won that or lost that game. And I, there was some controversy on some some uh some calls during that game. I I know that there was like a onside kick call to when start the up, second yeah. half. Yeah, when they when they were up. So I'm sure things like that played a played a big role in, into uh, Nebraska's decision to move on from him. But anyways, let's talk about the the new AP top twenty five. Literally came out an hour and a half. So these are it's almost like a live reaction to what we have to say about this AP Top 25. Bama loses the number one spot. Georgia jumps up to number one. We got Bama at two, Ohio State at three, Michigan four, and Clemson at five. They didn't move. Oklahoma moves up one spot, goes to the six, and USC jumps into the top seven at number seven. Oak State at number eight. Kentucky, after their big win in Gainesville, goes to nine, and Arkansas jumps up six spots as well and sneaks their way into the top 10 at number 10. But what do you take away from this week three poll? I guess every single time the AP drops a poll, I'm supposed to be very surprised with what they do because this poll was exactly like last week, uh, except we had more expectations for change with seven teams losing this week. But a lot of teams jumped like a ridiculous amount of spots. A lot of teams fell a lot of spots. And, you know, obviously... Texas jumping into the poll was my big surprise after losing. I don't know what kind of precedent that sets. You know, obviously they played Alabama really close, but they sneak into the poll after a loss. That's kind of very questionable to me. But yeah, I think I think we're going to see the AP voters vote based on what a team has looked like during the week, but also what they've done during the season. Because I think a big one that stood out to us was Utah dropping a spot after, you know, the blowout win. So obviously the AP wants to, you know, see you win each week, but they're also going to take into account what you've done throughout the season, which I think is very good in the long run. I think it's just interesting in weeks one and two to see teams winning games and, you know, dropping spots and seeing teams losing games and jumping into the poll. So I think the AP is just trying to figure out how good are these teams that they're ranking and where is like an appropriate spot for them right now? Yeah, something to note as well. We have, there's four SEC teams in the top 10. And I don't, how many SEC teams are in the top 20? Let's see. Five. There was eight last week. Looks like they're up There's still eight. Is there still eight? Yeah, there's still eight. Ole Miss is there. Texas. Yeah, so still eight for the SEC. And A&M stays on the poll after losing to App State. Crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how to feel about that one either. Because it's App State, it's at home. You're expected to win, expected to win big. I know Oregon dropped out of the poll after getting blown out by Georgia. They obviously didn't have as far to fall. So maybe Texas A&M fans would be a little happy that they're still ranked. But I don't know, a lot of interesting moves. You know, Baylor drops eight after their their loss in Provo against BYU. Uh, Florida obviously drops six spots after losing at home to Kentucky. Still both top 20 teams, though. Still, yeah. Still After both losses. top 20 teams, everything to play for. But, uh, yeah, USC obviously leading the Pac-12 at number seven. You know, Oklahoma State, um, right up there with Oklahoma now. You know, those are the two teams in the Big Ten. They obviously meet the final week of the season, which is already looking to be a very good matchup. But, yeah, I think I think this week we found a little bit more sleeper teams. You know, obviously Georgia and Alabama are the favorites in the SEC, how about, you know, Kentucky and Arkansas? You know, both of them kind of slowly creeping their way to the top. And then I think for the Big Ten, I think the big question is, 
who's the next best team after Ohio State and Michigan? You know, is it Michigan State who has a big game coming up with Washington this week? We, you know, we thought it could be Wisconsin. We thought Wisconsin could maybe be one of those um, other Big Ten teams that's pretty good. You know, Penn State's 2-0. They sneak into the, into the poll this week. So I think it's just kind of deciding who's the favorites in each conference. And I think, you know, there's going to be some new teams that emerge each week. Yeah, I think it'll be a test for um, um, talking about the Big Ten. I think that Michigan State will have a test next week against Washington. They go at Washington. I think that that will be kind of a a game where Michigan State gets to prove themselves on the road against a non-conference team. Obviously, Washington has looked pretty good in these first two weeks. But, yeah, as far as, like, some sleeper Big Ten teams who are who are Ohio State and Michigan, I think that Michigan State will get the chance to prove themselves this next week. Yeah, I'd say I watched Penn State play against that uh, Purdue team on the road. And I know we talked about it in the weeks before, but Penn State literally went from, or their quarterback, Sean Clifford, literally went from the villain to the hero after he <laughs> threw that pick six and then took him right back down the field to score. So I think Penn State might be sneaky good. Uh, I guess we'll have to see... You know how they do against you know kind of a big time opponent, but those are kind of the the favorites for the Big Ten, and then you know the ACC. How good is Clemson? You know, yeah, they uh, kind of they didn't look shaky. They just had some kind of rough moments in Week One against Georgia Tech. Ended up winning big, and then obviously they won again last week. But you know, is Clemson the best team in the ACC? You know, is it Miami? Is it Pitt? Is it NC State? Is it Wake Forest? So many question marks in the ACC. I think that conference is probably the most unpredictable because I don't think Clemson is the best team in the ACC, even though I did pick them to get into the playoff. Yeah. And I think they still might get into the playoff. But, you know, after the first two weeks, I'm not convinced on Clemson being the best team in the ACC. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out as far as, like, the playoff. I mean, we still have the 14 playoff. Is there going to be two SEC teams that make it? Is it going to be Georgia, Alabama again? Or is a team like Kentucky going to be a second SEC team that potentially sneaks in? Or maybe we get like an ACC team. Like is Clemson going to sneak in? Is it going to be a Big Ten team? Who knows, really? And, you know, I don't think you can sleep on, you know, BYU either because they have the schedule to sneak into the playoff. They obviously got a big win over Baylor last week. They got Oregon this week. And I know they have Notre Dame and Arkansas down the road too. I know Notre Dame kind of fell off a little bit. But they have the schedule to still kind of run their route to the playoff. So that's going to be an interesting one to keep an eye out. But I think for the first time, I would say that the SEC is a little bit closer than people will admit. I know Alabama didn't look amazing against Texas. And maybe that's, you know, credit to Texas and not as much, you know, Alabama being not as great of a team. But I think Georgia has dominated their first couple games and really looked like the team to beat in the SEC. And maybe after Georgia, it's, you know, Alabama, Kentucky, Arkansas kind of fighting for that second spot. Maybe Florida's in there, maybe Tennessee's in there. But I think the SEC is a little bit closer than it has been in years past because usually it's been Alabama and Georgia just way yeah. better than others. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because I, I think the committee has a, has a hard time not – letting Bama in regardless of kind of how things pan out for them as far as like if they're a one or two loss team at the end of the season and you know USC also looking like playoff contenders as well I mean they have the schedule to do it if they're a one loss Pac-12 championship team do they sneak in I mean it's kind of too early to tell but still those are those are some things that take into considerations when when we have teams dropping losses early in the season the thing that I do like about the AP poll this year is they're not afraid to drop a team based on a subpar performance. You know, we saw it last week with Ohio State getting dropped a spot, and then we see it again this week with Alabama dropping a spot. Obviously, they both won their games, but the AP isn't afraid to move teams down or up based upon, you know, how they play that week, which I think is I think it's good and I think it's, you know, needed for these, you know, AP voters that vote on games each week. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's really interesting. But then, I mean, you have a Utah team that put up 73 points, won by 60, 60, uh, what was it, 67? 66, yeah. 66. And, I mean, they drop a spot. So it's like, do they value strength of schedule? Are they valuing 
you know, the margin of victory. I think from what we saw last week, from the changes between the preseason poll and the week, or the week, week two poll, technically, I guess. Yeah, week, week two poll. Week three, I guess. I think teams were making big moves just based on their margin of victory. So, yeah, it's, it was just pretty interesting. To, I think we were kind of, like, do you think that this poll is pretty accurate? Mm, yeah, I think looking at it now, because I think when it initially came out, I was very surprised. with Because I knew there was going to be changes, you know, seven teams losing. You're going to have a lot of fluctuation. But I think a lot of teams moved up higher than I thought they were going to. I think Kentucky was one of them, you know, with a win over Florida in Gainesville. I didn't think they were going to jump into the top 10, but, you know, they made a big jump. And, you know, obviously, you know, BYU made a big jump with a win over top 10 Baylor. And then, you know, I think Texas, you know, again, losing to Alabama, but they jump into the poll this week. I think the APs are still kind of trying to figure out what are the best teams in college football. And I think you're going to see a lot more of these kind of drastic changes as, you know, the week's gone. Isn't it crazy what a ranking can do for a team psychologically. I mean, Utah goes into this season ranked seven. They have all these expectations. There's so many expectations for this team. Lose week one. Same thing with Florida. They jump to 12, have all these high expectations for this team. They lose as well. I mean, it's just weird how, like, a number next to your team's name can really change the mindset for the team, you know? Yeah, you know, as you get higher up in the poll, you know, the pressure becomes even bigger because if you're maybe in the 15 to 25 range and you lose a game it's not as as bad if you're like a top 10 team and lose a game because the top 10 is valued so much higher but I think it's it's good to see that the AP is willing to make drastic changes to try to get the top 25 teams ranked 1 through 25 and I know there's a ton of voters there's like 70 people who vote on the AP each week so it's good that, you know, we get 70 different um, perspectives on the yep. poll each week. But And I think a, kind of an underrated one that we haven't really talked about is Notre Dame did finally fall out of the poll. Obviously dropped from 5 to 8, lost to Marshall, and then dropped completely out of the poll. I think that's 100% correct. Yeah. If you're 0-2 this early into the season, I don't think you can be ranked. I think 1-1 one one is, is still also kind of questionable to be ranked. But I'm glad that there is one and one teams that are ranked because Baylor's obviously still a very good team. I think Florida's a very good team. And you know, I think Utah's a very good team as well, as long with, you know, Oregon and maybe even like a Pitt or even a Texas, because Texas surprised me against Alabama. Yeah, I agree. Texas surprised me as well. But I think talking about Notre Dame and how they dropped out, I think that this team could use that as fuel, you know? It's almost like they don't have anything to lose at this point, you know. It's like just go out and play and bounce back, you don't have really any expectations not being in the top, or were they fifth to start the season? Yeah, they're number five to start the season. Tons of expectations for this team with a new coach. And so now it's kind of like you just play a little more loose, you know? You don't have to really... Now it's like you have something to prove. You go out there and, I don't know, you just, you just play more loose. Yeah, yeah I think I think it's going to help the coach as well. Because I think as a new coach, being a top five team in the nation, the expectations are so high on you. So I think this will help reset the whole program. It's kind of like a clean slate. You know, you're 0-2, you got Cal this week, you got to focus on beating Cal, and that's kind of all there is to it. You know, there's no talk of playoffs anymore. A New Year's Six Bowl is kind of getting more and more unrealistic. So now you're just trying to play to get better each week, and I think that'll be good for Notre Dame. Yeah. All right, well, I think we're going to wrap things up. What do you, what do you think? It's pretty solid. Man, dude, I, as more and more weeks go by, the more and more excited I get for Saturday. Yeah. Because week one was obviously crazy. Week two was even crazier. Who even knows what's going to happen week three? Obviously not very many marquee matchups in week three, which might be a good thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> you might see more upsets. Yeah. So keep an eye out for... Well, who knows? Maybe things will mellow down because I kind of need to take a breath. You know, it's been it's been a crazy first two weeks. Well, it's like now I'm going through the schedule for next week, and I'm wondering which team is going to get upset this week. Yeah. You know, Ohio State's got Toledo at home. Does Toledo go into Columbus and pull up something, <laughs> you know, dr- drastic? But yeah, I want to put it past. I want to put it past them. So yeah, it's crazy. You know, upsets have been a thing this year, so I guess keep an eye out for those. But it's either you know this is probably going to be the week that all the teams that are favored win, and it's just going to be you know as 
as mellow as possible. Yeah. You know, knowing what we've had the first two weeks. Well, now that you say that, it's definitely not going to be crazy. It's definitely going to be crazy, which I'm okay with. I, I want craziness. So. I will say, yeah, I think we've been spoiled, like, with games these first two weeks. Oh, yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah, I think it's setting the tone for a pretty exciting season. But, yeah, I think we're going to wrap things up. We'll, uh, we'll be recording on Wednesday to recap or uh, to preview we three's games. But yeah, it's a wrap. She was playing with me then, but she waiting now. Used to sleep inside a den, I got acres now.